Hi everyone, you're listening to the Year of Underrated Stephen King. I am Kim C, and this is a one-woman Stephen King podcast where every now and again I put down grading my students' fiction drafts and watch a totally kick-ass cinematic adaptation of a very underrated novella. Hello friends, I am so excited to be with you today. Welcome, welcome. I am caffeinated and ready to go. This episode is going to be exploring the 2022 Netflix release of Mr. Harrigan's Phone. We're going to talk about what I liked, which was everything, as well as maybe one or two things I'd like to bring up in the criticism section, but mostly we're going to talk about what I thought of this amazing, wonderful, clearly you know how I feel about it, film that was just released this week. So before you proceed any further in this episode, I would like to strongly suggest and advise that you have done two of two things, or at least one of two things. Firstly, please read the novella, ladies and gentlemen. I really think you'll get a little bit more out of it if you've read the novella. I understand if you don't have the time or the emotional bandwidth or uh, we got a lot going on. October is always a busy month. It's a great month. If you don't have time to sit down and read it, definitely get your hands on the audiobook of 2020's If It Bleeds. It is the very first novella narrated by superstar Stephen King performer and actor Will Patton, who is absolutely legend. He has narrated Dr. Sleep and The Outsider, as well as numerous others, and he just, well, he takes King's already golden works and makes them platinum, in my opinion, but get your hands on the audiobook. The novella itself is approximately 90 pages in the American hardcover, most likely double that in the paperback release. Will probably take you about 90 minutes to two hours to listen to the whole thing, maybe read the whole thing if you're a quick reader, but I highly recommend getting yourself immersed in the text before watching the film. This is because I feel, and more on this later, the film is very, very close to the novella in a wonderful way. So highly recommend you have read the novella, listened to the novella, and have watched the 2022 release of Mr. Harrigan's phone on Netflix. Make sure you've done at least one of those before proceeding with this episode. I don't want to ruin anything for you, but if you guys have jumped back or have previously listened to my If It Bleeds episode many moons ago in 2020, Mr. Harrigan's phone was my favorite novella out of the four. The four in that release were... Mr. Harrigan's Phone, The Life of Chuck, If It Bleeds, and Rat. I think Rat was my number two choice, followed by If It Bleeds, and lastly, The Life of Chuck, but I adore Mr. Harrigan's Phone, guys. One of these days, I'll finally get around to categorizing my favorite Stephen King novellas, and I definitely feel it could be a top 10 contender. The reason why I love Mr. Harrigan's Phone so much is, of course, it is channeling Charles Dickens in the most gothic way. For my English folk out there, or for those of you who had to read him in high school, you know, Charles Dickens 
To put it succinctly, his stories are usually all about money. This is because Dickens himself, his own father, was arrested and put into debtor's prison back in the day in merry old England. Not having money meant you died alone terribly on the streets, or worse. So Dickens was pretty much consumed with money, and it's in all of his stories. Every single Dickens novel has something to do with the finances. But what we have here with Mr. Harrigan's phone is all of that Dickens stuff, all of those tropes of the elderly benefactor, the mysterious benefactor, but a huge heaping spoonful of the gothic. It is so good, guys. To hear me nerd out more on Mr. Harrigan's phone, definitely jump back to my previous episode, the part one of If It Bleeds. I think I go pretty in-depth as to what I love about it. But yes, there is so much to celebrate with Mr. Harrigan's phone, the novella. Also, before I start talking about the film, I must celebrate the fact that this novella takes place in the town of Harlow, Maine. And oh my gosh, everyone, Harlow is my new favorite place. I know that everybody loves dairy and Castle Rock's great, but Harlow, guys, Harlow is tremendous. For all of my revival fans out there, you know what's up. It takes place in Harlow. Also, for fans of 1982's different seasons, specifically the, is it Fall from Grace? It's something, but the body, that tale, either the boys are from Mountain, Maine, traveling to Harlow, or they're from Harlow, traveling to Mountain. one of the two, Harlow is featured. So what I'm noticing, and what I hope you all are noticing, is the town of Harlow is attached to some stellar Stephen King titles, guys. Yes, Castle Rock's amazing. Derry is always going to be where it's at, absolutely, but Harlow, everybody. It's super underrated. We should all go there for dinner one night, just saying. So I now want to segue into the film, but before I do, just to make sure we're all on the same page, let us have a brief summary of the story, just in case someone listening out there just wanted to hear my voice and not necessarily digest the content. I'm all about that. Totally fine with that. And you have no idea what Mr. Harrigan's phone is about. Here's what it's about. Craig is nine years old when he starts working for 80-something billionaire Mr. Harrigan. Craig reads to Mr. Harrigan three days a week and over the years forms a friendship with the curmudgeon but secretly kind Mr. Harrigan, who is escaping a long life of shrewd business deals in the small town of Harlow, Maine. When Mr. Harrigan passes away, Craig puts Mr. Harrigan's cell phone in his coffin, or rather in the breast pocket of his jacket, in the coffin, and in times of grief. Craig calls Mr. Harrigan's phone, and Mr. Harrigan answers in more ways than one. (laughs) All right, so that's our summary. That is what Mr. Harrigan's phone is about. I, of course, have left out loads and loads of things in that description because I don't want to reveal everything. Let's just say there's also a very big spotlight on the first-generation iPhone. So this story is a little techy, and it's definitely shining a big light on Apple products, but regardless of that, this is a story about coming of age, grief, loss, friendship, 
all the good things, all those bold words that make me love King so much. So I was thrilled when I heard it was getting a cinematic adaptation, could not wait for it to come out. And in order to hype myself up, I reread the novella. So I have now read the novella twice within the last two weeks, and I, oh, I'm really smitten with it. So let's talk about the strengths. We're going to segue right now into the strengths of Mr. Harrigan's phone, the cinematic adaptation. We're going to go for it. Let's do it. Number one, let's start with casting. Holy crap, everyone. Oh my goodness. The casting is superb. Superb in all caps. I, oh my gosh. Okay, let's dig into it. Firstly, we must start with the legend that is Donald Sutherland. Ladies and gentlemen, Donald Sutherland is just Canadian glory. He is literally 87 years old. He is the perfect age for Mr. Harrigan. This guy is still acting. Oh my gosh. If you look at his past film credits, my God, guys, it goes on page after page after page after page. I think he's been in hundreds, hundreds of films. He is fantastic. And I'm really happy to remember that Donald Sutherland has kind of revealed himself in the Gen Z generation, maybe a little bit, maybe more millennial. He played President Snow in the Hunger Games trilogy. That's a really fantastic young adult series. The films weren't too bad as well, and he plays the very sinister president of Pan Am, the very indulgent, gluttonous society that controls the Hunger Games. Super good. Definitely check him out in that or check him out in anything else because he's wonderful. And by the way, you guys know I have had a major crush on his son, Kiefer Sutherland, my entire life. Granted, I love Ethan Hawke more. Ethan Hawke is my first and only love celebrity crush-wise, like he's the crush of my life. But spot number two is Kiefer Sutherland. And now that it's spooky month, I'm going to plug into my annual viewing of The Lost Boys, one of my favorite vampire films from the 80s. It is the best. Kiefer Sutherland is so hot. I'm sorry. I know this is a tangent nobody asked for, but I'm just going to tell you, he is He's perfection, okay? So if anybody's interested in seeing the genetic pool of Mr. Sutherland in the most handsome, stunning glory, Kiefer Sutherland in The Lost Boys, just saying. Getting on track again, Donald Sutherland is our Mr. Harrigan. I think he's extraordinary. I think he was perfect. And what an amazing choice. I'm so glad that he was in this role. He just makes it magic. It's wonderful. He's the most perfect Mr. Harrigan. I'm thrilled. Secondly, we have Jaden Martell. He is the actor performing the role of Craig. And most of us constant readers are familiar with Jaden's work because he plays Bill Denbro in the 2017. And I think he's in the 2019 one, maybe just a little bit. I also need to rewatch those films. As you all know, my devoted, lovely listeners, Bill Denbro is my absolute favorite all-time favorite Stephen King character out of everybody. Granted, I have a lot of loves, a lot of honorable mentions. Bill is my favorite. So Jaden warmed me heart and soul. I loved him and was obsessed then in 2017 when I first saw him. And in this role, everybody, he is perfection. Jaden Martell is 19 years old and I think, I'm saying it now, I'm sure it's already been said, 
He is going to be a huge star, everyone. He is going to be our DiCaprio. He will be a River Phoenix. I really think he has those chops. His soulfulness, his intensity, his... Uh, sometimes he would just look at the camera and I would get misty-eyed. Like, there were just moments... I don't know. I don't know. This kid has something incredible. I was mesmerized by his performance. It's understated, yet not, yet extremely... Uh, I don't know. I also think I might be a little biased because as an educator, there is something that happens with students where you become very mother hen, very she bear. And so when I observe a student in peril of any kind, even though I know it's fiction, there is something innately inside of me that freaks out. And all I wanted to do was hug this kid. I just wanted to hug Craig. I just want to hug Jaden. This is probably why I should never meet him because I would just want to hug him. And he has that face. He has that vulnerability, but yet that quiet strength. Oh my gosh I just was so moved I was so moved I got misty-eyed several times during the film he is a wonderful choice I just feel he's gonna be a huge star a huge star this guy will win Oscars I really believe it I'm saying it now he has it he has something very very special and it's it's all consuming he doesn't feel like he's acting he's just naturally into the grooves of the part into portraying a young boy who has met death very early on in life due to the loss of his mother and holding that grief around inside you it was real to me guys like when people lose people when you are visited by loss at a young age especially if it's a parent like that is that's with you forever and there is a little bit of shadow behind the smile there and I don't know how he did it he just did and it was totally apparent it was it just works Donald Sutherland and Jaden Martell. Oh my goodness. Oh my god. Everyone was really well casted in this film. For example, when you guys read the novella, the physical description of Kenny Yanko, they found the perfect actor for that. It is right from the book. Kenny looks exactly like that. He's a very uncomfortable, sinister bully. I really loved that performance. It was unsettling and strange, but yet he wasn't irredeemable off the bat. I don't know. There was a lot of layers, a lot of really good nuance. And I have a question for all of the constant readers out there. There's a character in there named U-Boat. I feel, is U-Boat from something else? Is that an Easter egg? I've just, there was some sort of spidey sense. I don't remember if it was from the novella. I mean, I'm sure it's from the novella because this was an amazing script that did a fantastic job of staying very close. More on that later. But something was like, I feel the name or character of U-Boat was, it's from something else. Could be an Easter egg. It could just be me misfiring that is highly possible. The casting of this film was terrific, guys. Everyone shined so bright, did so well. Craig's dad, the actress who plays Miss Hart, it's winning all over the place. Loved it, loved it, loved it. The second area that I greatly enjoyed in this production is the voiceover. In any screenwriting program, at least all the ones that I participated in, when I have to teach screenwriting in my own classrooms, voiceover is one of those elements that pretty much everyone will tell you to avoid because it's very hard to get right. Voiceover, of course, is when there is a voice from a character in the film speaking, so we hear their voice as the film is going on. 
I can count on both hands the amount of films who have had voiceover, and it's terrible. For example, this is a film that I recently rewatched due to the sequel coming out soon, 2009's Avatar. If I were to be allowed to have been in that editing room, I would have scrapped the voiceover right away from that film. If you guys watch 2009's Avatar, the first few minutes, the character of Jake Soli is narrating his journey to Pandora, and it's just, nope, nope, it kills it. You need to take it right out. You need to just omit, delete right away. Voiceover is terrible. It usually never contributes to films in a good way. It cheapens them. It's always avoided. For the most part, typically avoided because it's hard to get right. Film is about what we can see with our eyes, right? It's what you're able to show visually, which is why we have page to screen adaptations. It's what we can visually show. Voiceover, it just doesn't work. However, everyone, I felt it works so well in this story, guys. We could sense the melancholy we could feel the wonderful, wise, much older narrator reflecting on this time in his life. I felt it worked so well, and usually it doesn't. And it could be because I'm biased, I will admit that. I really like this story, so maybe I'm just overlooking the flaws, if there are flaws, or maybe I'm just giving them a lot of grace. I admit that could be a possibility, however, I've watched it twice now, and I really like it. I think it works, and usually, I would never say that. I, I hate voiceover in films. It's never done right, and here it works. I think the, the sporadic nature of it, the fact that it just enhances those tiny moments, oh, I really liked it. I really liked it. Maybe once I see it a few more times, I'll feel differently, and I'll decide that maybe it isn't a good idea, but I don't know, everybody. I was really pleased with it. The voiceover throughout the film, I loved it. I was like, you know, I'm okay with this. I think that it's warmth, and Craig himself is a quiet character, seemingly quiet. He speaks with a soft voice. He's a gentle presence. So having that additional emotional monologue come out of him so we could hear it so we could get closer to Craig. I really appreciated that. I actually really enjoyed it. Number two, voiceover. Number three, the artistic decisions. Oh my goodness. I know there's probably a better way to phrase that, but all in all, everyone, some really smart decisions were made in this story that oh, makes it a winner for me. So firstly, we've kind of mentioned a little bit here and there, we have a terrific script, everyone. This is so, so close to the novella. And what I appreciate is that they didn't really make anything up. They didn't, the enhancements they brought to the film augmented what was already there. They didn't skew from the path and just go wild with a totally different storyline, character names we've never heard of, they stayed so true to the story, and so we have a couple enhancements that weren't in the original novella. One of them, of course, is Mr. Harrigan's closet, where there's just like a bunch of photos and memorabilia in there. That is not present in the story, so that is an addition, but it it enhanced the bond and the mystery of Mr. Harrigan. It enhanced Craig's connection to him. I loved it. I felt it was a smart decision to add that. There was also the addition of Craig visiting the Billido trailer park residents. Billido was somebody who we learn in the film and the novella stole from Mr. Harrigan and Mr. Harrigan 
in quotes, made him pay. So we don't exactly know what that is, and so we're led to believe from the character of Mr. Harrigan that there wasn't outright violence, especially Mr. Harrigan being in his old age, but I think he used his money and connections to make sure Billado never worked again, and Billado ended up committing suicide. So that was a segue that really added to the mystery. It didn't take away from the integrity of the story. It just enhanced what was already there. And I'm so appreciative of that, guys, because I think most of the time we have screenwriters who they get the rights to a project and they absolutely go nuts with it. I know a lot of folks out there have favorite novels and book series and then they go to the big screen and stuff is inserted that never, ever, ever happened. And you're just like... Why would you do that? Why would you make up stuff that never ever happened? I, I, it's one of those that I shake my head vehemently. I understand that the decisions made are to try and make the story stronger, blah, 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 but no, enhance what's already there. Just stay on that path. So great script, wonderful enhancements, the changes implemented make the story a little richer and a little better. I also love the beautiful setting, everyone. This was filmed in Connecticut. I really gotta make it out there. New England is so beautiful in the fall. I believe this was filmed from October to December, so we just have some glorious, gorgeous setting. Really beautiful filming. It really captures that autumnal changing of the seasons, which adds to those themes of growing up and becoming an adult. It's just really beautiful. I also really love some of the stylized elements that we have. For example, there are two occurrences that kind of made me swoon a little bit. When our sweet Craig is beat up by Kenny Yanko outside of the dance, he is thrown to the ground and his body is kind of positioned in this peculiar way where his arms are outstretched. It's really interesting. Then, Kenny Yanko, of course, when he is found deceased, the body and the way the bird's eye of the camera, Kenny Yanko is in the exact same position as Craig. So some of these cool little things, these really wonderful stylistic choices, they just gave me life. They really did, guys. This was beautifully filmed. There was really a lot of heart to this. It was special and cool and layered and emotional and very mysterious. And to expand on that a little bit more, what I absolutely love in the novella as well as the film, the mystery of Mr. Harrigan is carried the entire time. We have so many gothic elements with seemingly the dead coming back to life. However, nothing is ever observed in the physical, right? We don't have a monstrous undead zombie Mr. Harrigan traipsing around and getting caught on hidden camera. We don't have any of that. We don't have any dirt following from the grave. Like all of these old school horror elements, we don't have that. We have pure mystery. Somehow, all the reader and the viewer knows is that Mr. Harrigan, in connection with Craig, is making the enemies in Craig's life die, disappear, taking them off the board altogether. We know the way these people died, we just have no idea. So, psychic possession, nightmares, actual visitation from a ghostly spirit, 
most likely. We just don't have any of that. And the mystery is what makes it so compelling. We just don't have any concrete proof. There isn't any monster or special effects makeup to pick apart and criticize and say, that's not scary at all. No, it's actually incredibly scary because we don't understand how Mr. Harrigan is doing this. We don't know the ways that he is getting in the faces, in the minds, in the spirits of these individuals and making them commit suicide. We don't know. It's awesome. And so I really love that the mystery of Mr. Harrigan is carried from the novella into the film. It just works so, so well. Oh my goodness, everyone. There is so many things to praise. The filming of this is beautiful. The setting, the costumes, the acting, the way that this script stayed so close to the novella, guys. Oh my goodness. There were moments that are just all over the place directly from page to screen, and there is nothing more a King fan could could ask for. Honestly, like, this is what it's all about, is getting a writer-director, which in this case is John Lee Hancock, making smart decisions, honoring Stephen King's writing, enhancing it where it can be enhanced with extra details of what's already there and not going rogue, making up character names, making up plot points, just crapping all over it, right? Staying true to it, enhancing it where it can be enhanced. It's just, oh my goodness, so many good things, guys. So to recap, to recap the things that I absolutely loved, casting, of course, I really loved the voiceover, and we have some beautiful artistic decisions. So at this point, let's take a mini breather, and we'll come back with some of the criticisms and final thoughts on Mr. Harrigan's phone. Okay, friends, thank you so much for listening thus far. I was very disheartened and sad to hear that this film is getting mixed reviews. However, I have a few theories. Some of the articles I've taken a look at have been extremely in favor of the emotional heart of the movie. However, I feel a lot of the bad press or the mediocre press is because this was not marketed very well. However, I also think it's such a tricky thing what we have here, folks. So if you watch the original trailer for Mr. Harrigan's phone, there is a lot of horror elements in that trailer, guys. We also have the mention of Ryan Murphy and Blumhouse. These are huge names in the world of horror cinema. Ryan Murphy, of course, is attached to the American Horror Story franchise, of which there are several seasons. That franchise is actually way too scary for me. I can't do it. It's a lot of the things that I really can't handle as a viewer, a lot of slasher stuff. I did like the first season, although, yeah, it was really unsettling. I'm actually too chicken for American Horror Story. I really wanted to like the Roanoke one. It was just a little too blood-soaked for me because I love Roanoke, that whole mystery, the 
Virginia commune that disappeared off the face of the earth, please check out 1999 Storm of the Century because Stephen King writes about Roanoke, Virginia in that miniseries. It's amazing. Check it out. But Ryan Murphy and Blumhouse, they are mentioned in the trailer. We also have a lot of quick cuts, little jumpy moments. This was marketed as horror, guys. And when you actually watch the film, there's no horror. None. I don't think there was even one jump scare. There is nothing horror about it. Gothic? Yes, lots of that. But there is so much emotion and coming of age and sweetness and it's a lot of Craig being angelic and wonderful and he's has this sweet presence and countenance to him. He would never hurt a fly. He's got friends. He's growing up. Like, that's where the spotlight is. Mr. Harrigan is slightly mysterious, and we do have this one scene that I'm going to talk about in greater detail here in a second. But Mr. Harrigan, he's cranky. He's a little bit of a Luddite in regards to technology. He's perhaps, I'm detecting maybe a little bit of a cranky Catholic in there, a lot of self-denial, a lot of withdrawing from anything pleasurable, potentially a little monastic, we could go there, but there is no horror here, guys. None whatsoever. And at first, I was reading these mixed reviews, I was a little sad about them, but I thought to myself, this is hard to do! The marketing for this film, like, how would I do it? How would we... I don't know if I would have made any changes. I don't know if you can make any changes, guys. The way the film was marketed was to get viewers. It is technically a gothic, frightening story. We have a man that dies, and he is sort of coming back to life via technology, and a trail of dead bodies. Like, that in itself is a frightening thought. So you would want to market it as a horror film, you definitely would, but it's like, there's no horror. There's so much more emotion and heart, and I feel that's why it's getting mixed reviews, guys. I feel the people that really went into this wanting to be scared, wanting to see some stuff, they were disappointed because their expectations were set upon the wrong things. Ergo, please make sure you've read the novella, because if you are expecting horror, you will not find it. I am the biggest chicken out there. There was not one time where I was scared. Not one. This is an emotional story. It is full of feels and there's no, there's just no horror, guys. So the marketing, I believe, poorly contributed to the reception of the film. However, if I had the opportunity to be on that marketing team, I don't know what I would have done. I don't know. Like, do you ignore it altogether? The huge center point of this story, which is Mr. Harrigan being reached by an iPhone in death and the enemies of Craig being destroyed seemingly by the ghost of Mr. Harrigan, right? There's just, that's what you have to market. That's how you draw viewers. That's how you draw interest. That is a frightening concept. That's the core of our story. So there, yeah, it's just a rock and a hard place, ladies and gentlemen. You can't take out the frightening aspect of that and just wax it over with the coming of age sweetness of a young boy befriending an old man who gives him a large amount of money for school and who changes his life for the better, XYZ. No, because this is a frightening story. This is a gothic story. You have to highlight that. We just got super stuck everybody. I don't know how else to market this thing. I really don't. I wish 
I could have been there to, uh, yeah, this is just, it's really hard. So I encourage, please make sure you spend some time with the source material and I think you'll enjoy the film so much more. However, if you watch the film without knowledge of the source material and you're expecting something really frightening, I think you'll be disappointed, everybody. Tell your friends out there, make sure you've read the novella first. They'll really get a good sense of what King is working with. He's created a beautiful coming-of-age story with some gothic spooky elements, but no horror. For those of you who have read the novella, there is one element I want to shine a spotlight on. Kenny Yanko, of course, when he passes away, it isn't due to falling out of a window with shoe polish all over his mouth. I loved that in the film. So terrific. But in the novella, it's autoerotic asphyxiation gone wrong and his hair was completely white. For those readers of 1985's Skeleton Crew, specifically the short story, The Jaunt, that is featured all white hair. So that was a really cool Stephen King Easter egg that I liked within the novella of Mr. Harrigan's phone. Little homage to The Jaunt, but that wasn't present in the film. It was understated, mysterious, really cool. There was a lot of dramatic irony. For example, Craig never saw the body. Craig didn't really know exactly what happened. He's just kind of told. And so only the viewer gets to see these bodies. And it's just really cool. I really like it. But the criticism I have is the poor marketing. However, I don't know how I would change it. I think it's just one of those sticky, sticky things. It was done to the best of their ability. They did great, whoever it was behind it, either Netflix marketing or Blumhouse or whoever was doing that. It's great. It's great for what it is. I just, I feel that's why we're getting mixed reviews. The other criticism I have, of course, I watched this with my love and my Ethan Hawke lookalike, and my boyfriend had no idea what was going down with Mr. Harrigan's phone. I told him a little bit about the story, but he went in completely fresh. And after we watched the film, he commented on one part that I felt potentially could have been left out. It's fine as is. But young Craig, when he starts working for Mr. Harrigan, it's a little bit of a comedic piece in the novella because Craig's father asks him, like, is he a kiddie diddler? Like, why does he want you to read for him? Like, is he is he being inappropriate? And of course he's not. And Craig's like, no, dad, no way. But I don't remember if this actually happens in the novella, but in the film, young Craig goes to his local library and he Google searches, or Yahoo searches rather. He Yahoo searches Mr. Harrigan and there's a lot of unsettling articles such as his shrewd business nature. There's a couple suicides attached to Mr. Harrigan's business dealings. And so from what we read on the newspaper headlines, this guy is dangerous. This is a bad man. And so what my boyfriend mentioned that was kind of enlightening made me think about it as he says, oh, so did Mr. Harrigan hurt those people in the news articles? Like, did he actually kill people? And I thought about that because it does lean that way. The newspaper articles kind of give hint that he might have had something to do with those untimely deaths, aside from just calling up a hitman and getting it taken care of. In the text, we are led to believe that he was not a physically violent man. We are led to believe that he was just very shrewd in business. 
And when he made people pay, in quotes, it was ruining their lives, making sure that they couldn't get work, that they couldn't feed their families. That was how Mr. Harrigan destroyed you. So he didn't outwardly contribute to your demise. You did that yourself. That's what the novella paints for Mr. Harrigan and his dark side. But with the Yahoo searches for young Craig, it does open up that arena of, oh, is Mr. Harrigan a killer? Is he a killer? And I don't I don't know if that's just an isolated thought tangent that might not have a lot of substance, or if it actually happened to more than one viewer who might have assumed that Mr. Harrigan killed people. So I was wondering on that. It's just a tiny criticism I have. Maybe I would think about omitting that or maybe changing some of the articles just a little bit to not include suicide or death because it did open up the arena that maybe Mr. Harrigan was actually somebody who killed people and that when he is post-mortem, this is his MO. This is something he's always done is kill people. So this is also something I could have directly missed in the novella. Maybe that's what I was supposed to take from the story all along. In my now double readings of Mr. Harrigan's phone, I didn't find anything in the text that led me to believe Mr. Harrigan was a killer in terms of calling up a hitman and killing people. However, maybe he was, and I just totally missed that. Like, maybe he, in fact, was an actual killer. But he just seemed more consumed on business and money, very Ebenezer Scrooge. He really seemed like that was his focus. And if people wronged him, he would ruin your life monetarily, so you just killed yourself. That was what I interpreted from the text and the character of Mr. Harrigan. So perhaps the film did take it in a different direction with wanting Mr. Harrigan to be observed as somebody who who would actually kill you, who would actually either arrange for your death to look like an accident slash suicide, or he may have actually physically put his hands on you. I don't know. So I might have missed that, everybody. So if I did, please reach out because I would love to get that sorted if in fact you feel the novella is leading us to believe that Mr. Harrigan physically killed people in life and that's why in death this is just normal for him. Or if rather he's just unhinged in death and wants to help Craig because he loves him and is devoted to keeping Craig safe and dispatching enemies and bullies as he sees fit because now he's a ghost and he can do whatever he wants. There's a couple of ways we could take that. Overall, as you guys have heard, I don't have a lot of criticisms, guys. This was a 9 out of 10 for me, maybe a 10 out of 10 for me. This was truly fantastic. I love this novella so, so much. I really do. I've never been a huge fan of Charles Dickens, but this makes me love him and love how he exists in literature and some of these characters that are sewn into the fabric of pop culture. I love it. I think that Mr. Harrigan is definitely a 21st century Scrooge with the opportunity to have Bob Cratchit, our Greg, sort of warm him into humanity a little bit. And in death, if Scrooge had been your friend, would he kill for you post-mortem? Really great ideas to bring forth. I really love this film, guys. I plan on watching it several more times. It made me misty. I think Jaden Martell is a blazing star, everyone. Blazing. 
I think he's gonna be our DiCaprio. I really do. I think he has that intensity, that sweet countenance. He's so angelic and vulnerable and I'm smitten. I absolutely am. I'm really excited to see what else he does. And I hope that Mr. Sutherland, father and son, are with us for many more years to come because they have given us so much in the world of film. Donald Sutherland is the perfect Mr. Harrigan. Oh my gosh. Perfection, everyone. So, so good. I love this film. I love everything about it. Minus one or two little peccadillos for marketing and that one Yahoo search that I think opens up a can of worms that could potentially confuse a viewer. However, that is neither here nor there. So yeah, that's really all I got. I'm a huge fan. Definitely get your hands on the text, guys. Do it. It won't take you long. And make sure you watch the film in tandem. It's a huge treat. You will absolutely see full passages of that story come to life. It's just wonderful. So I would love to hear what you thought about Mr. Harrigan's phone, everyone. Please write me at underratedsk at gmail. Say hello. Tell me what you thought. Let me know if I biffed or missed anything in the text that was incredibly blatant and I just absolutely dropped the ball. That can happen. So I would love to hear from you. Let me know what you think about the show, all that good stuff. If you would be so, so kind, I would love if you could share the show with a friend. If you have a king friend in your life who hasn't found us yet and you would like to share, please do so. And if you're not a user of Apple Podcasts, that's fine, but you could still head there and give us a five star, say something nice about the show as we are in the midst of spooky month. I am currently reading Christine for the very first time. I'm really enjoying it thus far. I have a lot of ideas in my mind. I'm really excited to talk about that novel with you guys. So right now, Christine is at Darnell's shop. I'm getting to know Arnie. I'm getting to know Dennis. Good stuff. So Christine is going to be our next novel, and then we'll see what we have planned for the rest of 2022 as it gets hopefully a little colder in your area. For my Aussies, it's getting a little warmer, almost beach time, I think. Thank you all so very much for listening. Christine is up next. We will talk about the others here in the next couple weeks. Until then, wherever you are in the world, please take care, guys. Say hi if you haven't, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you.